They have heard myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands singing with a whole voice. Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and might forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Here was the Spirit, they say.
name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen.
started to take up fishing. He had been a farmer, and I, I didn't recall him ever fishing before he retired. And he and another person in town uh, who had been our scout, they started on fishing buddies. And I did believe that any time my grandfather got frustrated or just kind of fed up the way things were going around the house, he'd say, I'm going fishing. Fishing for Harley. Harley was his buddy. So here's Peter, completely lost in terms of what the future would be. I'm going fishing. And the other disciples joined in fishing. Well, they go out, and apparently they're out all night, and they don't get any fish. And one of the things that I find kind of interesting in the Gospels is that the disciples never catch any fish, but they go fishing. Jesus tells them what to do. Jesus is the real fisherman. So they're out there all night fishing, and no fish. You know, I think sometimes we can see that in our own ministries. We feel like perhaps they're fruitless. And I think what this points to is the reality that our ministries are not about how much work we put into them, but rather it's about them being grounded and energized by Christ. And that's the difference between catching fish and just fishing all night and coming up empty. Well, it was no different, uh, no different on this fishing trip. They had no fish, and Jesus was on the shore, but they didn't recognize him. He had built a charcoal fire and was cooking some fish and he had some bread. And apparently he called to them and said, You haven't caught anything, have you? <laughs> and they acknowledged, indeed, they had caught nothing. He said, Put the net down on the right side of the boat. So they put the net down and it's a gigantic call of fish. And in that moment, the beloved disciple, who believed to be John, recognized and he said, it is the Lord. I think there's a possibility that John recognized Jesus because of the abundance that he saw in that catch. Now you'll recall that abundance is a part of Jesus' ministry. His first miracle at the wedding of Canaan, there was this enormous amount of water that he transformed into wondrous wine. And then you'll remember the feeding of the multitude. And that a meager meal of fish and bread, he multiplies many times and feeds everyone. We're reminded over and over again that the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of abundance. And that's to be our ministry as well. We are not poor, no matter how poor we might be in material things. We are never poor. We are always proclaiming a gospel of unfolding. And I think in that moment, John recognized So Peter, hearing John say that it's the Lord, uh, as uh, impulsive as he is, he may have had a light thought about uh, He may, might not have been actually completely naked. But the weird thing is, he puts his clothes on and then he jumps into the water. <laughs> but that might just be the way Peter was. Impulsive, not thinking everything through, but acting. And there's another lesson in that, I think, for us. Part of the Christian life is to be contemplative, to be, to be sensitive, to be attentive to God. But another part of the Christian life is to act. To be attentive and not to act doesn't result in anything. 
So we see in John and Peter the two qualities of Christian life which we must embody to listen, to hear what God is saying, and then to do something about it. Well, they, Peter comes ashore, and eventually the bring uh, in the, the net is filled with all the fish, and Jesus invites them to have breakfast with him. And then when they finish breakfast, Jesus begins to ask Peter some questions. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I do. And then he asks him another time, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And he asks one more time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter felt a little hurt. Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. Every time after Peter, after Jesus asked Peter this question, do you love me? Jesus would say, to feed my sheep, to feed my lambs, or tend my sheep. This is a wonderful interchange between Jesus and Peter. Because Peter needed, I think, that kind of affirmation that he truly loved. First of all, that he loved Jesus, to reaffirm that to Jesus, but also to have that received by Jesus. And then finally, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. Well, there are a number of things in this passage that are, are very remarkable. Uh, you will recall that Jesus is cooking on a charcoal fire. Now, this is not the first charcoal fire that Peter has encountered that we've seen in the Gospels. You'll recall that there was a charcoal fire that had been set in the courtyard of the high priest. And Jesus was inside being questioned by the high priest. And Peter was outside with the servants, and they were warming themselves by that charcoal fire. And they said to him, aren't you one of his disciples? And he denied that he was. And then another one said, aren't you a disciple of Jesus? And he denied it again. And then a third time he was asked, and he denied it, and in one of the Gospels he denied it with profanity. He was so, so clear about the fact that he did not be identified with Jesus. And in those three denials, Peter had denied his discipleship. And now we come to the fire by the Sea of Galilee, and the fish are being cooked and consumed together with Jesus. And one of the earliest icons of the Eucharist is, are the symbols of fish and bread, not wine and bread, fish and bread. And we see this in Jesus sharing a meal of fish and bread. And Jesus asked three times, just like the servants did. And three times, Peter acknowledged his love for Jesus. That must have been an amazing moment, because in that moment, Jesus put behind him all that had happened in that denial. And not once did Jesus ask Peter to beg for forgiveness. Not once did he ask, don't you feel shame for what you have done? No. The only thing he asked was, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter, of course, knew he did. Peter had failed. But despite his failure, Jesus brought him back. And in this very strange kind of commissioning, these disciples who are gathered there having reference with him as well, they know Peter 
This is the crazy guy that jumped in the water with all his clothes on and runs against the shore because he's so eager. He is so impetuous. He is he has a temper. Peter's a tough guy to be around all the time. They know what he is as a human being. But they also know that Jesus has chosen him to be the leader of the disciples, to be the one who would lead them into the mission set before them. They knew Peter as a human being, and Jesus did too. Well, I think there are many lessons in this for us and for the church, for us individually as well. And one of the things that I think we learn from it is the importance of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a wonderful gift. It's a gift to the one who forgives because in forgiving, we let go of resentment. And resentment eats away at the soul. And I think it eats away at the body as well. I believe I've known people who have been physically ill because of the resentment they have harbored for years and years and years. So it's a gift to the one who forgives, but it's also a gift to the one who is forgiven. Because in being forgiven, we can let go of the guilt of we have felt. And we can recognize that we are back in relationship with that other person. So I believe we are called always to forgive. And remember the example of Jesus on the cross, who was even able to forgive those who were crucified. That is what we are called to as Christians. But I think this is also a lesson for the church. The church must be a refuge for sinners. It must be a place where sinners can come and feel that they will receive the grace of God. We mess up our lives in countless ways. And many times we mess them up not because of our intent, but it happens to us, and we find ourselves in circumstances that are seemingly beyond our control. God knows that, and God forgives. God's grace is endless. But sometimes the church hasn't offered that grace as endlessly as God I believe, as a church, we are called to have open arms to anyone who comes to the church who has sinned, who has fallen short of the grace of God, missed the mark, who has been hurt or hurt others. And we, as a, as a community of caring souls, must reach out to them, invite them in to experience the forgiveness and grace of God. And like Peter, we are not called to follow Jesus because we are perfect, but because we are forgiven. If Jesus could forgive Peter, he can forgive you and 
Father, we pray for your holy Catholic Church. In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we pray for the Diocese of Bagnoro, Kitara, Uganda, for Justice Archbishop of Canterbury, and for the reconciliation in the worldwide Anglican communion. In our diocesan cycle of prayer, we give thanks for the ministries of St. John's Church Foster, St. John's Chapel, Broughton School, St. James Church, Groveland, the sextants and custodians in our congregations, and for the Boston Episcopal Charitable Institute. Grant that every member of the church may truly and humbly serve you. I ask your prayers for Michael, our presiding bishop, for Alan and Gail, our bishops. We pray for all bishops, priests, and deacons. I ask your prayers for Barack, our president, and charming our governor. We pray for all who govern and hold authority in the nations of the world. Give us grace to do your will in all that we undertake. We pray especially for Barbara, Sally, Bob, Betsy, Anne, Judy, Nora, Ed, Arlene, Scott, David Jr., Barbara, Clementine, Dale, Bob and Pat, Will, John, Ruth, Tom Bridges and family, Heather Ingeborg, Heather Ingeborg, Lucas, Claire, Susie, Tom, Kathy, Kristen, Alice, Ellen, Susan, Peter, Kirsten, Eric, Gail, Jim, Wynn, Harry, Aliana, Wynn and Jenny, Spencer and Louisa, Evie, those without jobs, those serving in the military, all who work for peace, and all who suffer from war. Are there others? Have compassion on those who suffer from any grief or trouble. Give to the departed eternal rest. We pray for the repose of the souls of Fred Stewart, uncle of Ernest Stewart, Eliezer Kamen, father of Matt Kamen, and Frank Newcomb, friend of Al for whom the flowers at the altar are given today. Are there others? We praise you for your saints who have entered into joy. Let us pray for our own needs and those of others.
Center uh, at 5 o'clock. So I hope you can all come. And if you can, um, let me know if you'd like to be part of the music. Thanks so much. Well, this is now the Reverend Sharon Dickinson. Yeah. She's a deacon. Yeah. So we should congratulate you. Good morning, I'm Jay Louis, Senior Warden. Trinity's very fortunate to have many unsung heroes. I think all of us know that there are a lot of people that work behind the scenes without receiving much of any credit who make a huge difference for Trinity. I wish we could acknowledge all those who make such a contribution, but today it seems especially fitting to honor one person who in, in many respects may be the epitome of the unsung hero at Trinity. I would appreciate it if John Woodward could join me in the lecture. Thanks, John. There are a lot of things I could say about uh, John, but um, Tony's standing right next to me, as you see. Uh, he's giving me dispensation from the 30-second rule, but not the three-minute rule. So. <laughs> um, last week we announced that Trinity has a new website. It's a wonderful website. I hope you'll visit it. 
What we didn't announce on purpose because of the snow was that for the past 15 years, John has been the webmaster for Trinity's computer system uh, until we got this new one. It's, he's done an incredible job there. And in fact, it's, it's really like the worst possible volunteer position. Why? Uh, any of you who know John knows that he's extremely smart, and he's also exceptionally responsive. But the problem was that no one thought about John or the website until there was a problem. And as soon as there was a problem, they'd say, John, what's the problem? You know, why does it take us long? Well, it wasn't John. He was always very responsive. It was those of us who didn't communicate the problem to him soon enough. But he's the one who got the brunt of the criticism. So uh, it's, it's just incredible all that he did in, in making the computer system work as the webmaster. And, and we're very, very um, appreciative of that. Uh, again, I don't have time to cite all the things that John has done for Trinity, but let me start with just a few things. Um, in addition to serving as the webmaster, John has handled all of our hardware uh, over the last number of years, our telephone system, our networking infrastructure. In addition, some of you know that John was instrumental in working closely with the stewardship team to introduce the popular PayPal feature. This makes uh, you know, it's another option that people have really uh, embraced and like a lot. Recently, along, along with a few others, John um, rewired the underground. That was a huge task, took a lot of time, a lot of effort. Finally, during the past few years, John has been at the forefront of planning and implementing a state-of-the-art networking facility that will carry us for decades into the future. Um, I know because I saw him at many of the uh, meetings with the, uh, the building team. Uh, he did an awful lot of behind the scenes planning, uh, trying to figure out what would be the best system for Trinity, and, you know, the, the appropriate kind of cost. Uh, he spent countless hours doing this kind of thing. In short, John's been an incredible resource for Trinity in so many ways by quietly providing his expertise, time, and effort to make Trinity so much better than it would have been otherwise, all at no cost. John is truly an amazing blessing for our parish. And as a, a token of our appreciation, we have a nice framed watercolor print to get to.
planets in their courses, and this fragile earth, our island home. From the primal elements you brought forth the human race and blessed us with memory, reason, and skill. You made us the rulers of creation, but we turned against you and betrayed your trust, and we turned against one another. Again and again you call us to return. Through prophets and sages you reveal your righteous law, and in the fullness of time you sent your only son, born of a woman, to fulfill your law and open for us the way of freedom and peace. And therefore we praise you, joining with the heavenly chorus, with prophets, apostles, and martyrs, and with all those in every generation who have looked to you and hope, to proclaim to them your glory in their unending hymn.
let the grace of this holy communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world. Accept these prayers and praises, Father, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit your church gives honor, glory, and worship from generation to generation. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are going to say, Our